Good. Well, we are starting this new message series. I really believe that as we go through this across the next 15, 20 weeks, I'm not sure how long it's gonna be, maybe longer, as we go through this, God's gonna do something deep in this church that's gonna spill out to the community around us and to the world around us. I'm so excited about what God's gonna do. I believe he's been laying a foundation for the four years we've been existing as a church for this moment for us to embrace what his Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us in this world. And it's gonna be awesome to see. And here's the great thing. You don't, you don't get to sit back and watch it happen. You get to be part of making it happen by the power of God. Thank you, Mason. You get to be part of making it happen by the power of God. So, somebody excited about that. So this is gonna be good today. So if you got your Bibles, guess where we're gonna be? The book of Acts today. So go to Acts chapter one, and we're gonna start off at the very beginning in verse one. This is what God's word says to us. And if you're trying to find Acts, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. Those are the gospels, stories about Jesus. And then Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. And this is how it starts. In my former book, O Theophilus, hold up just a second. Why don't we name kids Theophilus? What a baller name. I knew a guy in Nigeria. I traveled there one time and my cook for the week who took care of me and my dad, his name's Theophilus. And at that moment, I decided, if I can get my wife to agree to it someday, we're gonna have a little baby Elijah Theophilus is what it's gonna be. What a baller name. So in my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. We're gonna pause there for a second. What's going on here is that this is actually a sequel. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he continued on and wrote a second part, and he addresses it to Theophilus. Now, Theophilus may have been a real person's name, but Theophilus also means friend of God. So in some sense, this could be written to a guy named Theophilus or to the friends of God. Anyone who's reading this, who is in relationship with God, this is for us as well. And, and he writes a sequel. Now, here's the problem with sequels. Rarely are they as good as the original. Like Jaws 4, Revenge of Jaws, was just not as good as Jaws. Transformers 1, as a kid, I remember when it came out. I forget what year. I was probably 13 or 14 when it came out. Love Transformers 1. Transformers 2 maybe the trashiest movie ever made and one of the worst movies ever made. Just not good at all. Sequels have a tendency to be a letdown. However, this book, the, the book of Acts, is not a letdown because it's a story, not of what Jesus began to do, but what Jesus continued to do through his people. See, just like Luke is what Jesus did when he lived on this earth, the, gospel, the, the book of Acts is the story of what Jesus did through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit after he went up to be with the Father. And what's more exciting to me than the fact that God can come and transform this world is that God can use people like us to transform this world too. It's not just that God, I mean, we, we know God can change things and he did through Jesus, but now Jesus continues to change things through people like us who've had pretty unremarkable weeks, who are struggling with just getting our laundry done this week. You just can't catch up. You haven't mowed your yard in three weeks and your neighbors are talking about it, right? You can't even do that. And God wants to change the world through you. That's the amazing story of Acts. So it goes on, verse three. After his suffering, that would be the suffering on the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now this is, is just interesting because Jesus has 40 days with his disciples. 
He can talk about anything he wants to do. These are like the last words, the last teachings of Jesus before he goes up to be with the Father. And he's not gonna come back to earth until he returns someday, which still hasn't happened yet. And so in this in-between time, he's got these last few words that he gets to share. So what does he share? I think last words are interesting. I, I studied a lot of Greek when I was in college and I studied a guy named Pythagoras a little bit. He was a philosopher, you know, the Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared, is that right? Okay, I was just checking. I, hadn't thought, I haven't thought of that term for a whole, really long time. Pythagoras died by being chased by his enemies. He had some followers with him, chased by the enemies, and they came to the edge of a bean field. And in order to keep fleeing, they'd have to cross the bean field, like a field where they grow beans. And he stands there and he says, these are his last words, better to perish here than to kill some beans. The last words of Pythagoras, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That was his last words. He's like, I don't want to run across and kill some beans. His last words. Axagoras, I like his last words. He was a Greek philosopher. They said, you're about to die. How do you want people to memorialize you and remember you? And this is what he said. Give the boys a vacation. Last words and he dies. I thought, what an absolute bro. Give the boys a vacation. What a way to go. I hope I say something better than that. But if it's not better than that, I hope it's at least that good. Give the boys a vacation. These are Jesus' last words. And what does he spend his last 40 days talking about? The kingdom of God. He's, he's not caught up on the fact that Thomas was a doubter and that Peter denied him. He's not caught up on the fact that he's surrounded. His apostles, his followers were kind of dense a lot of the time. He wasn't hung up on trying to fix their character flaws or trying to help them build better habits. He was focused on them understanding they had a place in the kingdom of God. In your life, Jesus cares a whole lot more that you find your place in his kingdom than you get over your character flaw. Now, he wants to fix your character flaw, but he wants you to know you have a place in his kingdom. You are here, you belong. He doesn't want your past and your mistakes to carry over to your present and keep you from engaging with what he's doing in this world. Jesus wants you to be part of his kingdom. And so he spends these 40 days talking about the kingdom and he talks about something else too. It says on one occasion, verse four, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus wants to make sure not only is he talking about the kingdom, but he's talking about the way the kingdom comes in this world, which is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, wait until that power has come to you. Now, this is key because every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all talk at the very beginning of them that Jesus didn't come just to baptize us in water for forgiveness of sins, but he came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, to envelop and cover our lives with his spirit. That is why Jesus came. I want you to understand this. Jesus didn't just come to forgive your sins. He forgave your sins so you could be filled with his very presence through the Holy Spirit. And that's why this book is just about what, not about what he, Jesus began to do, but what he continued to do through the Spirit's work in their lives. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom is gonna come and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So then this beautiful book and Jesus' it's teaching gets all messed up because the disciples enter into it. And verse six, it says, they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they were focused on the present thing. Now, the, the theologian from the 16th century, 17th century, uh, John Calvin, said, there are as many errors in this question as there are words. Everything about this question they asked Jesus is just wrong, except for the first word. They said, Lord, that's right, Jesus was Lord. 
everything else is wrong. They said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you? Jesus did not intend to be the one who in a moment restored the kingdom. He intended to use people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring his kingdom and make it a reality on this earth. At this time, they said, are you going to do it? They expected Jesus to immediately transform their lives. How many of you have wanted and expected Jesus to immediately change something that he did slowly? Jesus expects the kingdom of God to come gradually in this world. He's, he, he's not snapping his fingers and saying, boom, it's done. Someday he will return and all things will be restored and everything will be made right and the kingdom will be fully come. But until that time, Jesus designed his kingdom to spread slowly through people, through relationships. The kingdom of God is about people and relationships. They said, Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel. What they thought is that the kingdom that Israel used to have, they'd get back again. The land that they used to have and now Romans were controlling them, that they would get it back. And that was totally wrong because it was never about the land. It was never about the place. It was about what God was doing to change the world. And they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Notice they didn't say God's kingdom. They said the kingdom. They had something in their mind that was not in the mind of God. And they said, are you gonna restore it to Israel? See, they still had this ethnic, nationalistic, perspective that it was about them. And Jesus says, no, none of that. This is Jesus's response to it. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this, what happens next is one of the weird parts of the Bible. And so if you're a Christian and you've heard this story, you just kind of gotten used to this being normal. What happens next is weird and not normal. If you're here today and you're not really quite sure about following Jesus yet, I just wanna give you permission to find what happens next really strange. Because what happens next is it says, after he said this, Jesus was taken up before their eyes. He just lifted up to heaven. This was some Chris Angel stuff, but it was real. He just goes up to it. That was too old. That was too old of a reference for some of you. That might be the first time I've ever made a reference that flew over some people's heads. Chris Angel was a street magician back in the day. So Jesus just rises up and it says the clouds enveloped him. And so Jesus just goes up. It's just, they're standing back and looking up and Jesus rises up to be with the Father. Now we know that heaven is not a geographical place, but this Jesus was showing them symbolically, I'm going to another kingdom, I'm going to another place, another domain in heaven, and I will return someday. So this is, this is what happens next. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And then they asked maybe the weirdest, dumbest question of his, the history of the world. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? And they're like, did you see that? He just levitated, okay? Like our whole lives we've learned you don't levitate. Gravity exists. And he just went up into the heaven. But, but they said this, why, why are you staring up into the sky? This same Jesus who had been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Jesus someday is going to physically return. He is going to fully establish, fully consummate his kingdom in this world. When he returns, he will return from the sky, we are told. He will return physically, and he will return to judge all people. But until we get there, we're called to be something. We're called to be people who don't just stare up into the sky and sing love songs to Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. We're called to be people who are engaged in the mission of God to bring his kingdom to this earth. 
was listening to a sermon years ago. I've heard so many sermons in my life. My dad was a pastor. I grew up hearing sermons different places, going to conferences. I've heard too many sermons. I'm at the point now where I like to have, like, I try to limit my dosage of sermons. Like, I can't get more than one a week. You know, I just got to limit it. But I was listening to this one sermon, and it actually stuck with me, surprisingly. And what the guy said, he was preaching on this passage, and he gets to this point. He was a fiery Hispanic preacher named George, but it was, it was Jorge, but he, called, he said George for all of us Anglos. And he was preaching, and this is what he said. He gets really fire, and he says, don't be heaven gazers, be kingdom raisers. And I thought, that is so cheesy. And I remember it like 15 years later. <laughs> don't be heaven gazers, be kingdom raisers. That is the point of this passage. We are raising up God's kingdom in this world. We're not just staring up, singing love songs to Jesus. We're singing love songs to Jesus while we are working to bring about his kingdom in this world. So I want us to backtrack just a little bit. How do we bring God's kingdom? It seems like such an abstract thing. Like I'm just me living my life, again, trying to get my laundry done, my yard mode, trying to do the basic stuff. How do I bring about God's kingdom and what is God's kingdom? So let's go back a few verses. Acts chapter one, verse seven, we already read it. This is Jesus' response to that question that the disciples asked in the entirely the wrong way. This is what Jesus said. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. This is the first thing the kingdom of God means for your life. If you're part of God's kingdom, it means that you are under the authority of the Father. This, maybe more than anything else, is what Jesus taught it meant to be a follower of his that you are under the authority of the Father. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he said, pray this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Hebrew, you would typically repeat something and you would expand on the first thing you said with another statement. So Jesus says, your kingdom come. What does it mean for the kingdom of the Father to come? It means that his will is done. And so when we live under the authority of the Father, when his will is done in our lives, we are part of the kingdom. Jesus went on to teach in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, that there are gonna be people who've done miracles, who've cast out demons, and they've healed people. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Why will Jesus say this? Because they did not do the will of the Father in heaven. The number one primary thing it means to be part of God's kingdom is you are living your life under the authority of the Father. And so Jesus intended for his followers to live their lives under that same authority. And here's, here's what I want you to grasp. You, not somebody else next to you, maybe them too. You are God's kingdom. Don't look externally for it. If you look outside and look around at this world, you're gonna miss God's kingdom because it's rough and it's tough and it's messed up. But you are God's kingdom. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are God's kingdom. And turn to the person next to you and say, uh-oh. <laughs> like if, if we are God's kingdom, that means there's not a plan B. Like we, we're plan A right here. And, and there's no plan B, we're it. It's the point, like parents, you, you take your kid home from the, the hospital and you look around and suddenly realize this is on us. Like, like there's no backup here. Like, yeah, maybe their grandparents or friends around, but like how this kid turns out is kind of up to us. We're responsible. There's no plan B. You are God's kingdom. The first part of what it means to be in God's kingdom, be part of God's kingdom, is to be under the authority of the Father. I had a really cool experience back when I was in college to do 
an internship at the Pentagon in, in DC, which sounds amazing. It's an office building with filled with government bureaucracy to where I didn't get access to a computer the whole time. So I sat there, ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day and read a book that I brought from home. That was my, but it sounds cool, right? I did an internship at the Pentagon. Yeah, it sounds really great. While I was there, like the one cool thing I got to do is, is walk around. People would visit from out of town, big timers sometimes, and they would want to come in and meet with the military generals and stuff. So I'd, I'd go escort them around. So one day, uh, the governor of Colorado and I think a senator from Colorado delegation came in. So you can imagine, I'm like, okay, this is a big deal. The governor of Colorado's here, all these other business people and civic leaders. And so we're walking them around. We sit them down in this room and then a guy comes out whose name I don't remember, whose name you probably wouldn't know, but he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. This is the military leader who's all over all the other military leaders. He's the most powerful person in the whole U.S. military. The only person he answers to is the President of the United States. This is a significant man whose name I can't remember. And when you're sitting there, you suddenly realize who has the authority in that room. It's not the senator or the mayors who are there, or the business leaders who are there. It's not the governor of Colorado. It's this man right here, who's talking to us respectfully, but you know he has the authority where he can destroy whole nations. And there was a real sense that we understood who had the authority in the room. It's important for us to understand, as followers of Jesus, who has the authority. It is not you. It's not me. It is God through his word who has the authority. If you wanna be part of God's kingdom, we have to be under the authority of God. Anytime you start to think you can choose better than God, you have left his kingdom. Now, now I'm not saying you, you can't still be his child, but you've walked away because God's kingdom is God's will done in this world. You've stepped away from it. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing Jesus talks about with the kingdom. You're under the authority of the father. And this is what he says, verse eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the kingdom of God is people who are under the authority of the Father and are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now notice here, he didn't say you have to go out and earn the Holy Spirit. You have to go out and work really hard for the Holy Spirit. He says you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. You'll receive it. It's a gift from God to us. The Holy Spirit is the second person in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is the person who comes into our lives and empowers us to follow and obey God and to do his will in this world. Jesus is telling this to people like, like Peter, who had denied him three times when it cost him most, to people like Thomas, who had doubted him. He's saying this to all the disciples who just a minute ago, he's answering their question that had it all wrong. And Jesus is saying, you will receive power and so part of what it means to be in the kingdom is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of times we, we think this is, this is gonna feel really weird, especially if you don't come out of like the charismatic movement. You're like, how do, I, how do I practically do this? How am I empowered by the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes alongside who you already are, what you're doing, and he elevates it, takes it further, and empowers you. So it's kind of like this. I was, I was flying up to uh, Kansas City recently, and I was flying through D.C. And so my flight actually landed in D.C., the same time they were already boarding my flight to leave DC. This, this is one of those times where you gotta hustle to get to the next place. I was a little too respectable to hustle though. You know, I was, I was there, I had my bag, I had a, had a button up shirt on, some classy, I, I dress up more to travel than I do to preach. You know? So I had to, to, to go through the airport, I wanted to look good. And so I'm walking along, this other guy's on a flight with me 
He's a, he's a big Mississippi farm boy. At least it looked like it. He had, he had a cowboy hat on. He made me feel small. He was like 6'4", 6'5", 280, just, just pretty large dude. And I'm just briskly walking like a you know, the respectable person I am. And suddenly he comes by. He wasn't running. I don't know if this man is capable of running, but he was lumbering along, right? It was like there was, you could just feel every time he like hit the ground, there's this tremor that came through the whole building. And, and I look at him lumbering and I think, I should probably get moving. And so I start, I start as best I can because I'm holding a bag over my shoulder trying to run. I'm in my boots, you know, trying to, trying to run along. And uh, respectability's out the window at this point. It's just like full tilt. I got to beat farm boy to this, this gate. I got to get there because if they're going to wait on him, I got to get there before him. And so I take off running. And then I enter one of those long hallways in the airport. You know what I'm talking about? Like go from concourse to concourse. You're like, how did they build a hallway this long? This thing's a solid. It feels like quarter of a mile long. And you're looking down. You think you're about to turn the corner. There's your gate. And suddenly there's a hallway. And I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. I take off. And then I realize, you guys know where I'm going with this. They've, they've got those conveyor belt things, which, which like makes you feel more like, more like an Olympian sprinter than anything else, right? And so I, I'm running already, no, respectability gone, and I hop on that conveyor belt, and I just soar. I'm, I'm Usain Bolt up there. I'm flying. People are stopping and just pointing their kids to look at this man who's just this Olympian sprinting down. I'm moving so stinking fast down the conveyor belt. So it's not really me. I'm still like half jogging at this point, thinking I'm running, but the conveyor belt is carrying me. I made it on time to the airplane. I'm gonna finish up that story, but I made it on time to the airplane. I beat Farm Boy, by the way, but he made it on too. We get there. But thinking about our lives and the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. You're already walking and following God. You're doing what he said to do. You got your trajectory set in the right way. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he says, you know what? You're just a guy who's, who's out of shape and trying to run through an airport, but I'm gonna empower you. When you enter into that conversation with someone that you're, you have all this tension with and it's, the conversation can blow up, the Holy Spirit says, I'm gonna empower you to be a person of love to where what comes out of you is not what would come out of you normally, but it's gonna be my love pouring out of you. When, when you're, you're in that situation in life where you're just stressed out and you can't take it anymore, the Holy Spirit says, if you're walking in the right way, I'm gonna bring my peace into your life. When you're trying to have a conversation with someone and you finally got up the boldness to have a conversation to tell, tell that person about Jesus, and you're trying to share what Jesus has done in your life, but you're gonna stumble over your words, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes in and gives power to your words. And when you finally get it all out and you say, do you wanna follow Jesus? It's like Billy Graham just preached a sermon because they fall on their face. And you're like, where did that come from? It wasn't you, it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who carries you forward. He's the one who empowers you. And there was no way that the disciples were gonna be able to accomplish what they needed to accomplish without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, if we as a church, if you as a person want to be someone who lives in the kingdom, not only do you have to live under the authority of the Father, but you have to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God has given you, if you're a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit and you need to make sure you're in a place where you're fully surrendered for the Holy Spirit has full control of your life to lead you and guide you and empower you for ministry. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will have power. So the first level of being part of God's kingdom is being under the authority of the Father. The second level is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The third level is what Jesus says next. He says, you will be my witnesses. The third level of being part of God's kingdom is that we point people to Jesus. 
I've heard the term my whole life, you know, I was witnessing to somebody. I was witnessing to somebody. When I think of witnessing, to be honest, I think of handing out gospel tracts, you know, the ones that you read through and it's like, if you died today, nothing wrong with those. I don't think they're effective, but they're better than not doing anything, okay? So if you've been handing out gospel tracts, there may be a better way, but, but don't qu- stop doing that till you find the better way. And so that's what I think of. I think of that, I think of like cheese ball conversations with people, you know, it's like your waiter comes up and you're like, hey, they know that you're gonna have to tip them. So you're like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? What are they gonna say? Like, they want a tip. Yes, tell me all about your Jesus and give me a good tip, right? Like, that's not, when I think of witnessing, that's, but, but here's what witnessing is. It's all it is, is just explaining to somebody what you've seen and heard. Just explaining to somebody what you've seen and heard. It's just telling people what Jesus has done in your life. If you're a follower of God, if you're, if you're someone who's a Christian, then your life has been changed by Jesus. All it is is just telling your story. All it is is telling what you've heard about Jesus from scripture. It's just telling somebody else what Jesus has done. Sometimes we get confused about words like witness. Or, oh, I, don't know, I don't know how to do that. I, can't, I couldn't do that. Just, just go with the simple thing. We actually changed our mission statement as a church. So you know our mission statement is we lead people to live in love. All right, you've been brainwashed. And so well, it used to be something else. We had to re-brainwash you. It used to be something else. What it used to be is we make disciples who live in love like Jesus, which is a thoroughly biblical way of talking about it. But we realize most people hear the term make disciples and they think, I, I don't really know how to do that. Am I, am, have I been made into a disciple? How do I do that? We realize that people can grasp the language of lead. All you gotta do is lead someone to their next step with Jesus. We lead people to live in love like Jesus. The same thing's true here. Don't get hung up on the word witnesses. All the witnesses who describes what they've seen and heard Jesus do. You just point people to Jesus. So I was in DC and I hop on the airplane. I get there late. They actually upgraded my seat, even though I got there late. I have no idea why. They just said, so I went from like, you know, seat 57B, which is actually on the back of the airplane, like hanging out the back. Like on a, they just strapped me in on the back and just let me go. And then they moved me all the way up to 10. So 10E, I think is where I was. So I moved way up and I looked back at the, all those paupers in the back, you know, those people, but where, who I would have been with, I see you back there. And so I'm sitting up there and I sit down next to this guy. And uh, he, he's, he's a, you know, he looked, I don't know how to describe him. He was very dressed up in his DC, so he was a politician, but he didn't really look like a politician or someone. So I start talking to him, his name's Rocky, but he was a really gentle guy. So like, I didn't expect him to say Rocky. I thought his name would be like, I don't know, Jerry or something. But his name was Rocky. And I, so, I, so I start talking to Rocky. We start talking about, asking him some questions, you know, make some pleasant just conversation. And what is he into? He's a big Age of Empires fan. So he's trying to start a competitive team for Age of Empires. Well, I know nothing about Age of Empires, never played it, but had some friends who did back in the day. So we talk about that for a while. We talk about real estate investing for a while. And we hit that point where I'm kind of done being nice and pleasant, you know? You know what I'm saying? Anybody with me? So for some of you, that's 10 seconds in, okay? I was a solid... I was a solid 30 minutes post takeoff. I had done a good job. I had a seminar the next day I was presenting. I had to get ready for. And so I do this nice, you know, like you kind of wrap up the conversation to ignore that person for the rest of the flight. And so I was wrapping up the conversation to pull up my anti-Rocky wall right here. And I said, hey man, it's been it's good to catch up. You know, I need to, I got this seminar tomorrow. I got to prepare for it. And so I pull out my stuff and drop down my table, put my AirPods in. He turns over and he says, hey, what do you do? I, like, I, work, for, I work for a nonprofit. Um, just, you know, because I do two things. I work for a nonprofit, a seminary, and a pastor here. And so it's sometimes easier to say a nonprofit and end the conversation. And then he says, what kind of nonprofit? I was like, oh, I work at a seminary and I was an idiot. And I said, and I also uh, pastor a church. He's like, oh, I've actually got a lot of questions about that. It's like, oh no. Now, so I'm not some like, you know, superstar Christian being like, let me tell you about my Jesus. I'm like, oh, let me put on my AirPods, close all my work. The seminar can just never happen, I guess. Put up my tray table, 
let's talk about your questions, Rocky. And we spend the next two hours where I just get to tell them about who Jesus is. He's asking questions. He's wrestling with stuff. You know, and, and sometimes I'm slow. Like, I should get to the point where I'm like, here, this would be your next step, Rocky. At some point, Rocky's like, so what would it look like if I wanted to be a Christian? I'm like, ah, I probably should have brought that up sooner. So like, hey, Rocky, well, here, lead yourself to Jesus, buddy. Just do it yourself, okay? I don't have anything to like, I didn't have my Bible with me at the time. So this lady behind me is actually like, hey, here's a Bible. Give me a little Gideon's Bible. I was like, I mean, I didn't think I was that bad, God. Like, <laughs> expecting to have like a, you know, an evangelist come back and be like, here, move Elijah. God really needs him to become a Christian. And so I'm not doing a good job of this, but we end up talking and, and get to the place. And so we get off the plane and we spend a few more minutes after we get off the plane talking and he's not quite ready to, to take an authentic step. I could have twisted him into praying a prayer, but that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants him to take a true step of faith. And so I challenged him to, he wasn't quite ready, but he's actually from somewhere where I, had, I know a guy who pastors there. And so I, I connected them and trying to get him to go to his church. And uh, the story isn't get wrapped up with a bow because I've kept up with Rocky a little bit. I don't think he's a Christian yet. But what I do know is this, that I was able to, in my not very good way, be a witness to Jesus. It didn't look like this powerful sermon. It didn't look like this perfectly crafted message for him. It looked like hearing Rocky's questions and trying to guide him through my own journey and what the Bible says. God wants to empower you through his spirit to point people to Jesus. You are God's kingdom. It's you, there's no plan B. For the people in your life God has put you around, you are the plan. How are they gonna to come to know Jesus? You. How are they gonna follow him? You. Empowered by the Holy Spirit under the authority of the Father as you point people to Jesus. The kingdom of God is about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at work to transform this world. And here's my favorite part about this. All of this happens, and it's not just for a few of us. It's not just for Israel. It is for all people. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which was the town in Judea, which is the surrounding area, in Samaria, which was another region close by, and they, most Jews hated the Samaritans. And then Jesus says, to the ends of the earth, which is a nice blanket statement to say, and everything else. You don't even know these places. They didn't even know America existed yet. Everywhere else, to the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses. Can I tell you, there's an amazing thing. I was, I was praying and preparing for this message this week and realized that we have people in our congregation who are accomplishing the to the ends of the earth. As a church, we're giving money, but we have people here who are doing this. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna talk about some people. I don't, I'm not actually gonna point you out, but Tina Hopkins is here today. She works for The Seed Company, which is a Bible translation group. They partner with local people from different places to translate scripture. As of last year, they had 1,800 Bible translation projects going. They're part of a group that is planning to end Bible poverty within the next decade, to have portions of the Bible in every single language on this earth. That's what they're doing. She, she goes to this church. You may not have met Tina yet, but she's part of that movement. Tina, thank you for how you're serving to reach to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Mike McCarty's here. He is head of International Outreach Ministries. They have more than 100 missionaries in 26 world areas. He oversees it and he goes to our church. We can't take credit for that, but he's part of us. He's part of this local church reaching to the ends of the earth in seven different world areas, 26 countries, more than 100 missionaries, they're part of that. Danny Williams is here today. Danny is actually a missionary. He's based here out of Brandon, but he's a missionary and goes all over the world teaching in Bible colleges and training people and teaching in churches all around the world. Most recently was in Kenya. We're reaching to the ends of the earth out of this congregation. You may not have realized it, but we in this congregation, this, this small group of 120, 130 people is reaching to the ends of the earth. 
Brooke Strauderman is here. I almost called you Brooke Bruce. It's been Brooke Strauderman for a few months now. She, she works at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and she recently has finished up a project where she's working to get leaders in majority world countries, that'd be third world countries, Christian pastors and leaders in. And we recently accepted 15 pastors and Christian leaders from eight different countries to come in to be trained online through Wesley Biblical Seminary. She is a part of accomplishing this mission God gave us to the ends of the earth. This church, talk about a global impact. I want you to start walking around with your chest puffed up a little bit, your nose in the air a little bit. We're doing what Jesus has called us to do, but what he's also called us to do is minister to the people right around us. We are a church where we believe that God can transform anybody. And we will welcome anyone through these doors with open arms. So I want to push you on this. Can I tell you something? If someone comes here and they're a convicted sex offender, they're a pedophile, they are welcome in this church. You guys might disagree with that based on the reaction. They are welcome here. Now, we're gonna be careful. We're gonna protect the ways we need to protect. They are welcome in this church. Neo-Nazi walks in. He's got a swastika on his forehead. You know what we're doing? We're hugging him and we're bringing him into the family of God. You know, somebody walks in and they have a shirt on for your political candidate that you hate. You know what we're doing? You have to go welcome them in and draw them in. You gotta become best friends with them. And you gotta pick them up to take them to vote next time. That's what you gotta do. We welcome people in. Doesn't mean if someone's living in in an ungodly way that we just accept it and are okay with it. But we welcome them into God's family. We believe that people often need to belong before they get to the place of belief. And so as a church, as people, we embrace everybody. You know who we also embrace? People who are prideful. Even those people. People who lie sometimes. People who treated their spouse in an ungodly way this past week. We welcome those people. Not that we, none of them are here right now, but we welcome those kind of people. We welcome people who are just rude sometimes. We welcome people who dishonor God sometimes because God has called us to be witnesses, not picking to choose who we go to, but to go to all people. Can I tell you a truth? You are the kingdom of God in this world. Under the authority of the Father, empowered by the Spirit, pointing people to Jesus for all people, you are the kingdom of God in this world. As we walk through Acts, as we take that reality seriously, imagine what God can do in our local area. Imagine the ways that God can use you even this week in your circle of influence, how he can use people, how he can use you to draw others to him. Jesus wants to do it. He can do it and he will do it. Most weeks through this series, we're gonna have one challenge step for you to take this week. I want you to take this seriously. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, log it away. I want you to point somebody to Jesus this week by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? It means you go into the conversation to point them to Jesus and inside you're having a two-way conversation, one with them, one with the Spirit. You're saying, Spirit, help me right now. And you point them to Jesus. And I want us to come back next week with testimonies and stories of how we did this and Jesus honored it, and people are entering the kingdom. There's no plan B. You are it. I'm it. You are the kingdom of God in this world. So one step this week, point somebody to Jesus. All it takes is telling them what you've seen and what you've heard, and then challenging them to take a next step. Pointing them to what you've seen and heard and challenging them to take a next step. You are the kingdom of God in this world. And as we go through Acts, We're gonna learn more about how we do that. But this week, point someone to Jesus. 
Tell them what you've seen and heard and challenge them to take a next step.